is the North American Service broadcasting on 17.70, 15 12.05. Are you a worship to God? What if he said to his eyes? dude you busy no really no i'm not busy okay why does your discord status thing say that you're watching geriatric grannies 12 you know i googled that when i saw Uh... you're fucking sick whatever we don't have to talk about it now um we have to record do you still have time to record today um i guess do you want to you want to pause your video or mute it or something? Um, I mean, I guess I, I guess I could like I've already watched one through eleven and I'm like kind of in the middle of twelve. I'm just sort of invested, and for the plot, right? Uh, yeah. Can you just mute it? Can you just mute it and we? I already started recording, so. Oh my god! Recording me, without my permission. Yeah. Psyop Sally, we gotta fucking do the episode updates. Oh fuck yeah! Holy shit! Yeah, let's do it. Welcome back to Radio Grave. It's Radio Grave. You thought Radio we... Grave first remote episode. First remote. First remote episode ever. You thought we were. Whoa. You thought it was over. Well, it's not over because we're here. Return of return of the birth of the spawning of. The ghost of Radio Grave. The ghost of Radio Grave. <laughs> Choo-choo. Boo-boo-boo-boo. That was a train and an air horn at the same fucking time. Damn. I know. I'm here with Amber. I'm here with Dom. Dude. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> that was you. Yeah. So much yelling. Oh, my God. On a real note, though, we... Since the very beginning of uh, writing and recording and doing everything for the podcast, we knew that we were going to have a end of season roundup episode for updates, for extra info, for everything on every episode that we ever did. Um, if there were updates and now we're finally here and we're fucking stoked because there's so much to fucking talk about. So much to talk about. We had so much good feedback. We had a lot of questions mm-hmm. and we had a lot of uh, new things come to light. And we're just here to fucking dump, trauma dump all of it. Onto I don't you. know. I don't know about trauma dumping. I'm, okay. I'm well, good not doing that actually today. Oh, that's good. That's the first time. In, yeah. um, but I will say, um, as you might know, or you will find out in the next episode the q a um amber for season one did pretty much all of the research and that applies here too so all these updates um that are in front of me are things that amber found i do have a couple things to contribute um just based off people's feedback but i'm kind of going into these updates blind with you dear listener so um it'll be fun learning even more about these uh cases there were so many things that I found that I was like, oh, fuck. 
so I mean I'm I'm super stoked to hear what you have to say I'm super stoked to share what I have found and the things that I have thought about even going back and listening to episodes and stuff like as they've been um, posted being like okay like that is interesting. Why, why did I not include this thing? Or maybe I should check up on that thing and, and, and redo some of it. There are definitely Mm -hmm. some things that I was like, how the fuck did I miss that? Like, how did I miss that? Like I'm talking about something and I'm not even talking about something that's so blatantly obvious. We'll go over that with like a with Gary Sudbrink. Actually, I have a huge updates about that where I had a entire epiphany. But before we can even get to Gary or before we can even get to anything, I guess we can just start with uh, our first mini morb episode, which was episode six, the Mount Shasta robot grandma. Dude, that one scared people. That one Which really is, fucking freaked people out. <laughs> I know. And I, I was so surprised by that. Like, I feel like there's there are episodes that are so much spookier from season one. Yeah. Um, But people did not fucking like their robot grandmother freaked out. They were like, definitely like, uh, the what the fuck is that all about? Yeah, I definitely <laughs> I definitely got some people being like, uh, that shit was like wild that shit was fucking wild and i don't know like and some people were like uh that shit was like fucking stupid but it it was definitely like 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 we've talked about like we don't i don't go in the woods i don't fucking go into the forest like i like and it's this it's not because of robot grandma but it's because of stories like this because i'm not and i don't know everything i don't know what's out there and to be real, there's probably fucking aliens and robots out there. So I don't fuck with that. Um, yeah, just real quick. Just a quick note. The other night, I was just like getting ready for bed. And I was thinking how scary it would be to be abducted in the woods. Uh, yeah. Or anywhere. I think it's like a new fear of mine since recording this season. To be abducted. Like, yeah. Like, because like while it's scary to think about like some someone else just going missing, like, Dude, if I just got, like, abducted in the woods, that would be fucked. That would be fucked. Yeah, I think about abduction a lot, too. I don't think I've ever been abducted. I don't think I will be abducted. I don't show any of the signs of being an abduction victim. Don't talk about yourself that way. I (laughs) have some confidence. I just don't think that I'm a chosen one, you know? Repeat Repeat this affirmation. Okay. I'm wanted, I'm desired. I'm wanted, I'm desired. I, my DNA. By the ETs. By the ETs. My DNA is wanted. My DNA is harvested. My DNA creates hybrids. My Mm. DNA. That's the spirit. Okay. There you go. Thank you. Say, I am, I am the Ubermensch. I am the Ubermensch. Don't take that out of context. Um, <laughs> yeah, just clip that. Thanks a lot. Okay. <laughs> so tell. Okay. So tell me what. Tell me about Robot Grandma. What did you find out? Okay. So first of all, I know. I know. I I keep apologizing for this because it's so embarrassing. But throughout the whole episode, I say Lumeria. It is not the lost city of Lumeria. It's the lost city of Lemuria. It's Lemuria, and I know that now. I've known did that I- the whole time. I just said Lumeria. 
I don't know because I don't fucking care about Lemuria that, to the point where I don't even fucking know how to, I don't even care about pronouncing it correctly. And I have a question. Yeah. Was I, was I pronouncing it correctly or was I saying Lumeria? I don't think you said Lumeria once. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I say Lumeria and it's, that's not even like a, a word. So I don't even know. Neither is Lemuria or whatever fuck. <laughs> L- fuck that L- yeah let's fuck lemuria fuck the lost <laughs> city of lemuria you can suck my <laughs> nads so we don't even need to apologize fuck you lemuria okay well actually like i do apologize like i was so mm-hmm. confident and <laughs> i was so confident and being like oh, fuck the, the, okay so like no like we're we're good um i also claim in that episode that I had never been to Mount Shasta before and that I've only ever driven through Mount Shasta. And that is actually not true. So you're a liar. I've discovered, I guess I'm a fucking liar. (laughs) Um, But uh, I discovered to, to my surprise, my mom uh, actually reached out to me after she listened to the Mount Shasta robot grandma episode, which she said is her favorite episode so far. So shout out to mom. She is unafraid of the robots. Actually, she I think she said it was pretty scary, but she said it was her favorite so far. And she reached out to me j- specifically to tell me that actually you have been to Mount Shasta. We have camped up there. You just maybe don't remember. So uh I guess we went camping up there and met with some family around like 1997 ish. And not only that, but she actually said that she remembers the campsite that we stayed at. And um, she specifically remembered it because of the exit that they took off the I five, which was the Gilman exit. And that leads to the McLeod campground area, which is where uh, John Doe went missing. So, even though that seems like a crazy coincidence and it's totally weird, it's actually not that much of a coincidence because the McLeod campground is actually the most popular camping area and it's fucking huge. And I feel like that's Mm -hmm. something that I didn't really like talk about or say because honestly, I just assumed, Oh yeah, it's a campground, whatever, but it is the largest and the most popular. There's always people there. It's like really like, heavily uh visited so which makes it even more interesting for mount shasta robot grandma because there are so many people there but not so interesting that i went there when i was a child and did not get abducted so you know you know yeah that's fucking lame dude i know i know right so um so there i'm a liar so there's that. wait so what year did did robot grandma happen it happened in 2010 i think 2010 huh yeah okay i was gonna say maybe you're the robot grandma we don't know do you have a grandma that went missing around that time by chance in no. the mountains my when grandma, you went camping no my grandma was there though my grandma sue so are you sh- are, are you sure that your grandma sue is the one who left with you <laughs> she's like the double um mm-hmm She's a fucking weirdo. Maybe she is a robot. <laughs> I don't know. I know she, she'll probably never hear this, but Grandma Sue, you're a fucking robot. You're a robot. Okay. Dude, splash water on her. If it sparks, you know. And if she melts, she's a witch. <laughs> Jesus, I guess. She'll think that's funny if she hears this. Anyway. <laughs> 
So moving on, um, I did speak briefly about Miss Cat One, which was Grandma Cappy from AboveTopSecret.com. She claimed uh, that the Discovery Channel filmed a TV show episode about Mount Shasta, uh, about Mount Shasta in 2020. Um, mm-hmm. And I like could not find this. Like I looked everywhere. Um, she claimed that her and her grandson were interviewed and participated in the making of the episode. And I couldn't find anything except for uh, this show called Into the Unknown. And when I looked at it, like on the Discovery Channel or the Travel Channel or whatever, it said that they had a Mount Shasta episode that was going to air but not until July of 2024. So I was like, okay, did they record, did they film in 2020? And then it premieres in 2024, like July of this year. So that was really, really confusing. And I like totally kind of discounted it because we couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything. I was like, I don't know what the fuck this is all about. So the thing is, is that I did find something on YouTube at one point or another when I was originally um, researching this. And it was like a 45 minute video that was copyright striked. So it was just a black screen copyright striked that just said something like uh, about Mount Shasta into the unknown. So I assumed it was like, something that you know youtube is sketchy when it comes to shit like this people put up shit it gets copyright striked i was like i can't find it anywhere else and i have a fucking travel channel account i have discovery plus why can't i find it fuck it like it doesn't exist so when i was going back through on the morning of february 1st of 2024 the youtube video that was copyright striked became available to watch and I found it that morning and I fucking watched it and it fucking has grandma Cappy and John Doe in it talking about the fucking robot grandma. So it did exist and I just couldn't fucking find it. And then all of a sudden that same video was not copyright striked. So holy shit, we watched it as a team. Yes, we did. And it was so fucking bad (laughs) that was the one with like that weird um australian guy right yeah he was like a foreign he was definitely like a ghost bro he kind of gave like zach bagan's vibes but less autistic more british or australian if you can think of the guy from river monsters the hot buff uh fisherman from river monsters it was like that but like but like adventurer type you know what i mean like he fucks yeah it was the it was the river monster guy mixed with zach bagans it was weird yes it was like super fucking weird but yeah he was in it and uh it does feature the john doe uh it does feature john doe and grandma cappy and john doe's real name is actually indiana which is kind of jones indiana jones yeah and at, and at the time of the recording, he's like 13 years old. And I think that like he does look like a like an 18 year old, uh, 18 year old. He does look like a 13 year old, like he's kind of baby faced. He actually kind of looks like uh, J.J. Vallow. Um, creepy. The deceased J.J. Vallow, uh, son yeah. of Lori Vallow, who she murdered. 
it's kind of odd. Like I was looking at him and I was like, hmm. And then of course, Grandma Kathy is there and she looks like a crunchy, uh, outdoorsy granola kind of old lady. And then his older sister is there too, Sarah. And she looks like a pretty typical like teenage girl. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that the, their story, uh, Sarah, Grandma Cappy and, uh, Indiana's story about what happened is completely different than what we had recovered from all of the sources uh, that I had uh, from David Politis and from uh, some other stuff. Uh, Even like from Miss Cat on Above Top Secret, I went back and looked and she really doesn't mention anything that they mention on the show, but it's not because it was different but because it just she just didn't include it so there were some Mm -hmm. interesting things that they talked about that were not uh known to us there was a kind of um there was kind of the beginning right where they're like well how did he go missing and the thing is that in david politis's book it says that they were around a campfire that was not true he was Indiana was running through the woods allegedly with his sister and some other kids. He's three years old. So I don't really know why this is like happening, but I guess they were with some other kids and there was supposedly a rattlesnake that appeared. So everyone kind of panicked and was like snake snake. So they all kind of spread out. And when they spread out, uh, Indiana found himself separated from the other kids. And even though they weren't, they didn't go that far away from each other, all of a sudden Indiana was gone. And Indiana kind of described that he was uh, out, outside of um, like field of vision. Like suddenly he, there was no one around him. And then that's when he got into contact with Grandma Cappy, Robot Cappy. So, mm-hmm. and then that's when she took him away. So that's like different than what is said in David Politis's book. There's all that snake stiff, you know what I mean? So I, you know, they don't talk about the pooping on the paper. They don't talk about the exam. They don't talk about any of those details. Obviously it's for TV rated G or whatever. So of course they're not going to bring that up, but uh, I thought that was interesting to bring to light they are not actors. You know what I mean? Like this show, I feel like is super heavily scripted um, in a sense where the Cliff, uh, whatever the fuck his name is, Cliff, whatever, the fucking host, he's like, yeah. he's pretty scripted. And it's pretty obvious that there's like a producer on the sidelines who's kind of guiding um them through the interview of being like how about you say this or like how about you just get to the point or you know it's kind of edited in that way but they're not actors you know what I mean they 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 there's nothing about them that that makes me think that uh they are very normal people (laughs) very normal people that you could imagine maybe who live in like red bluff or like Redding. If you're from California, you know what kind of people I'm talking about. Uh, you know, just really average people. So uh, it they do, like I said, they do seem directed, especially Indiana. But I think it's just because he's young. Which, yeah, which definitely 
to reiterate isn't to say that they're what they're saying is made up, but to you know, but that they're speaking is scripted they're ufo people you know what i mean and ufo people tend to ramble and they tend to get like really like intense about what they're talking about and it made me think that maybe some things were guided and some things were shortened and edited out you know so they all have different last names too and none of them really look alike so i think that's also a pretty clear indicator that they are a blended family and, uh, you know, I don't think that that's, um, I don't think that's a very good indicator of them being actors. I would think that if none, if none of it was real, they would have gotten a, a regular looking family to act super regular and look super regular and have regular names and have, you know what I mean? But that's not the case. So uh, yeah. they're definitely not actors. When it comes to David Politis's involvement with retelling the robot grandma story, um, I don't really know what to say. Like he has a really like he is known for just going back and forth on presenting paranormal explanations for events and experiences like Indiana's. Um, I don't know why he misrepresented them so much. Like robot grandma's kind of a bread and butter bread and but a bread and butter sort of story, you know, like, what do you mean? Like, it's just the perfect fucking weird ass story to include in your book. And for some reason, it's like, he, he didn't really, he changed the narrative. He changed everything about that story, except for the exam. I don't really know what his problem is. I personally think that the David Politis version of events is more compelling than what actually happened according to the family like i just think his version is more interesting um so that could be literally all there is to it he just thinks it'll be a better story yeah i think that i uh, but i also think that him being in the woods and then suddenly being separated and like the whole there's a whole thing with like being in a bubble like when people come into contact with extraterrestrials or like uh, time manipulation in regards to like situations like this where there you were surrounded by people and then all of a sudden you weren't. Uh, right, that's true. And he like also leans heavily on that in like other stories too to support his extraterrestrial and paranormal um, explanations for why these people go missing. So mm-hmm. I would think that he would have, uh, you know, actually... Uh, leaned on that i don't know david politis is i think he's a great character i think he's fun i think that it's i think that his uh, documentaries are great i think that there's a lot of good things about him but it's a lot of like fictional fun sort of information i just don't see why he would like change their entire story uh, it's so like blatantly dishonest. And I feel like it totally like discounts him to have that happen uh, where, where people come out and they say like, yeah, you misrepresented our story, but I don't think anyone really pays attention to that. I don't know why. Um, I mean, if you want to, as a listener, if you want to watch the episode, we might do a uh, commentary video over it it could be available on our patreon and we're gonna we're gonna test some stuff out with that but 
be warned it's like so fucking like ridiculous uh it's cheesy as hell it's cheesy it's scripted cliff is a pretty hot because his whole thing is he's like there's a city underneath the mountain and i'm gonna walk through this tunnel five miles i'm like bitch no you're not and also uh they they get like one of those uh it looks like a lawnmower (laughs) but it sees down into the earth to see if there's like changes in the sediment and he's like literally pushing this thing up a fucking up a fucking slope of boulders and rocks up the side of Mount Shasta trying to find a hidden tunnel to Lemuria. Is it is it isn't it his crew that's pushing it? Oh yeah, it's his crew. Yeah, oh, no. God. I felt so fucking bad. You'll see it if you watch the video. But it's his fucking like one of his camera dudes is pushing this huge fucking like radar machine up a mountainside. <laughs> This poor fucking guy who obviously doesn't get paid enough is terrible, terrible. It literally is. It's so ridiculous. So yeah, that's our, those are our updates about Mount Shasta robot grandma. Not, uh, not anything too crazy, but we're going to move on. We're going to move on to more aliens, which was... Uh, Malians. Malians. Aliens, actually. Oh, true, yeah. Aliens, to be accurate. Our non-binary hero of the alien world or the extra-dimensional world, Sam. Mm. All-color Sam. I'm so glad that other people were as receptive to Sam as I was. I think everybody loves a little chap. Everybody loves a little critter and a little fellow. And that is what Sam is. Sam. A little friend. Sam is that. Episode two, Sam the Sandown Clown. Abso-fucking- Absolutely. I was getting some feedback and I luckily I feel like our audience is a thoughtful audience um, and on the intellectual side like of course you know like Rick and Morty you know what I mean Um, (laughs) but I was talking to someone about this episode and you know how we go over um, the likelihood of a child making up something so detailed and corroborating it with someone else and carrying on these details for, you know, decades. It was brought to my attention another case where kids make something up, but that they were lying for decades, um, which is the the Cottingley Fairies. Have you heard of that? No. Um, So it's it was in, I think it was like the really early 1900s. These little like English girls took these like photos of them with fairies right oh and and they insisted for literally i think till the 80s that it was true (gasps) that they were real fairies and like there were all kinds of articles and speculation and they had studies done on the photos and like a lot of people did believe that they were real fairy photos um which obviously they weren't and like a lot of experts said they weren't but oh my god um, it it took until the 80s for one of the girls to be like yeah, it was fake. Whoa. But then the other one insisted and was like, no, that's real. Dude, that's real. Oh, my God. When they're, God. like, proven fake. Um, you, you think that it was, like, so, they just, they went long enough, like, believing their own lies? Or do you think I, that they I literally, like, were trying to keep up with it? I think they might have been trying to keep up with it. Like, some, it's it's not unusual for people to carry on a lie to the grave, you know what I mean? How but, old were they when this happened? They were cousins, um, and they were 16 and 9. Oh, 16 and 9. Yeah, this was in 1917. What? Oh, my God. 
Who, yeah. who said it first? Who said that it was a lie first? Elsie was the elder one. Um, Elsie was 16 and then Francis was nine. Okay. And Elsie is the one who in the 80s said that it was fake. Oh, wow. And confessed. And then... But Fran Francis maintained that it was real. Okay. You know... So it's a very... I, I recommend looking at, like, even just on Wikipedia, like, looking at the article. It's interesting. Yeah. But it does... It puts a whole... It puts a different, um, you know, possibility up to the two kids who saw Sam. Right. The clown. Um, because people obviously, you know, there is the capacity to hold on to a lie for that long. Yeah. Um, which I still, I maintain that the kids that saw Sam, the Sandown clown, I personally maintain that they did see him or see them, whatever Sam was. Um, but it is just important to note that people can come up with very uh, accurate, involved lies, even as children, and carry them on. Yeah, publicly, you know. I do um, feel like I don't. I don't think. I don't think that was the case here. But right, I do feel like sixteen and nine is very different than two children who are seven. Sixteen, it kind of makes sense because sixteen is like old and obviously old enough to be manipulative and lie. I mean, that's, that's, you know, you're on your way to being, um, an adult, uh, definitely far beyond child years, but being nine, I could see being manipulated or being tricked. Like I yeah. had, I had teenage cousins who, uh, who very well convinced me that there were fairies who were living in my grandma's backyard. My grandma had this huge backyard um, and half of it was all green because it was maintained. And then everything that was behind it was this huge patch of yellow grass. It was never, ever green. It was just not maintained. And in the corner of that yellow patch, there was one little area of greenery and it was all like a bunch of bamboo and, um, anise, uh, and shit like that. And it was green year round. It was always there. Everything else around it was like dead and yellow, except for that. And, we would walk over there and my teenage cousins would say that there were fairies who lived in there. And I would like go back there and sit and wait and try and see them. And of course I never saw them, but like, I, I think I was very well, like, you know, convinced even with that dynamic, like they knew they were lying, but I believed it could have been true, but I agree. Yeah. I don't think that Sandown clown was, I don't think that Faye and John's experience with Sandown clown, uh, was fake at all I think that they really truly believed it and actually interestingly enough after I wrote and after we recorded and after everything a four-part docuseries called Encounters came out um, on Netflix uh, I think in the fall of 2023 and this docuseries actually covers uh, the Broadhaven schoolboys UFO encounter as well as the aerial school phenomena which is arguably the most famous case of children's UFO sightings in ufology. Like I purposefully did not mention aerial school because it's too much to talk about. It is really mm -hmm. a huge topic. It's too much to talk about. It was in South Africa. So it's not in the same, it's not in the same part of the world as uh, Sandown Clown was, um, but it did happen. And actually in that episode, uh, 
about the aerial school um, UFO sighting, they do talk about how there are all these children who saw this UFO and they were all around the same age. But then there were these older kids that were like, I made it up. Even as adults being interviewed in this, there was one guy in particular who's such a douchebag, but he's like, I said that there was a UFO and all these little kids believed it and they all convinced themselves that it was real when it wasn't and they're all lying. Like, it's really awkward Um, because then they have like 10 adults being like, I did see this. I know for a fact that I saw this. This has stayed with me my whole life. This has changed the way that I see existing. Um existentialism in a, in a way and then there's this one guy being like yeah I was a sixth grader and I said that there was a UFO and all of them believe me and they're all so stupid but that kind of ties into that where it's like can you make something up or hear someone make something up like an older kid and then really believe that it's true like I don't know I would highly suggest uh go watch that series I think each episode is like an hour and 15 minutes maybe at the most uh they're amazing they do an episode in texas an episode in japan an episode in south africa and an episode in england i i very rarely am like go watch this ufo thing because they tend to be a little like eh. but go on netflix watch it encounters you'll love it anyone who likes ufos go watch it if you haven't watched it already so do it um, okay but what what if i don't have netflix if you don't have netflix um i'm sure you could download it somewhere i don't know so, I don't have Netflix. I don't know what to say because I don't have Netflix uh. either. I use Zacks. We'll find a way. We'll find a way to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> if you enjoy our content, please rate, review, and consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash radiograve. You can also support us with a one-time donation by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash radiograve. Your patronage and support helps us continue to create content for you. You can stay up to date with us by following our Instagram account, Radio Grave Podcast. Thank you for listening. So, okay, moving on from there, we're going to skip to the Erickson Twins, episode four and five, the Erickson yeah. Twins series. Oh, my God. What, a, uh, what an amazing series that was because, first of all, it was our first series, uh, two-parter, and it literally popped the fuck off. Like, it was so well-received. So well-received. Um, a lot of people that I talked to was like, that's my favorite so far. Those are my favorites. Uh, and still, even even towards the end of our season, people are like, they loved the Erickson Twins episodes. Um, and it makes sense because it is a super crazy, peculiar story. And if you've heard of the story before, you, you're kind of used to the whole the same old rigmarole with it. It's always the same. And I do really feel like we presented a very different narrative about the story and had a lot more information and a lot more uh, to say than what most people report on. We had more information about their family, their history, uh, with Simon, with MySpace, with, with everything. I think maybe that's what really made a difference with our series compared to uh, other sources. I think that people have heard about the Erickson twins and we, I really wanted to strive to represent it in a way that was different um, and far more in depth than what I've heard before. 
So I mean, there was something for everyone, in my opinion, um, because one, overall, it's just a very interesting, fucking wild story um, with a lot to um, a lot to speculate and a lot to think about. But just like you said, the the way that it was presented through Radio Grave, I think, was very new um, compared to what everyone else has seen. So I just I think that helped a lot. I think it it was very successful. Yeah. I had people tell me that they love the Erickson twins case because it is so peculiar. And they told yeah, it's me, one of my favorites. They told me I I didn't even know these things. I didn't know about this. I didn't know that this was a thing. Um, even with like the history about their father being an alcoholic, a one-armed alcoholic, uh, yeah. like that's something that I never knew. And that was like really interesting to people because like I said, it is not normal to grow up with a one-armed alcoholic father. Uh, there's a narrative that they were normal and, and everyone is different and nobody is quote unquote normal, especially not the Erickson twins. So, and then we also had other people reach out. One gentleman reached out to us from Sweden who said, Hey, like this case is not really well reported over here. And, uh, I'm part of a group that is really interested in this case and, and the most, um, in depth and, and the most well-informed I think is, uh, what he said. It was just extremely well-informed. Um, yeah, which is super huge compliment, super flattering and super, um, huge from someone, you know, from Sweden. Yeah. And I mean, and if the, and if he's still listening, um, I, you don't have to reply to my email, but I did ask some questions about, <laughs> and I was going to look into this, but I just didn't really have time about what it was really like over there. Um, at least mo- in modern day Sweden, I would think that maybe it's different than it was in 2005. Uh, talking about the, a culture of uh, stoicism, mental illness, uh, you know, shame and, and, and alcoholism. And I wanted to know how is suicide or mental illness publicly perceived? Um, does it hurt your reputation to be mentally ill? Does it hurt your reputation to be, uh, an addict? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So obviously like it does, but also we do live in a culture where people are understanding mental illness and mental health a lot better especially with people who are uh, veterans like the Erickson twins father, um, especially with people who have rare disorders, blah, 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 blah. So uh, I did ask, but I have not heard back and that's totally okay. I could probably just do the research myself, but I also would think that it's great to hear from someone who's actually from there who uh, lives it. So, you know, Uh, but other than that, um, I did find a newish article, uh, that I hadn't seen before that I thought was promising when I found it. Uh, and it was titled BBC to retell story of twins who ran onto M6 before one stabbed man to death, which is a fucking crazy title. Um, you can shorten it, girl. You don't got to throw in all that extra stuff. Uh, but okay. But I mean, <laughs> Just you could have just said if you want to get if you want to get a grabbing headline. I mean, the retelling was in the title. You could just say BBC to retell story of Erickson twins uh, 
or something like that. I don't know why you got to throw in all that extra stuff. I thought it was going to be maybe because oh well as a head as a headline, if you just say retail story of Erickson twins, no one's going to know what that means. I guess so. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I even looking back at my notes, I was like, whoa. I even highlighted it in red. <laughs> you did. I see that. So you're like, this bitch is long. It was really long. But basically, <laughs> like, I thought it was going to be like a sneak peek article uh, for like a new documentary or like a show about the M6 incident. You know, maybe they were going to make an attempt to revise some of the misinformation that there's been throughout there have been there has been throughout the years or like maybe new information um but that was not true the article literally did not give any new information it actually just told the same tired washed out regurgitated story about the erickson twins that we see everywhere and there's no other mentions of the bbc planning to retell the story quote unquote of the erickson twins it literally is like hey bbc is going to retell this story just kidding you're going to read this article i'm going to tell you all about it and we're not going to talk about anything else so Awesome. awesome great love that so they're That was like not a thing. So also we did look and see if there was any sort of proof uh, about Folia Du and Buffet de Laurent, um, the comorbidity, right, Mm -hmm. of them. And we looked at that. We we literally couldn't find anything. Um, Well, yeah, because both both conditions are so rare. For something to even be confirmed as, like, actual folie do is very rare. Um, Same with Buffet de Laurent. Yeah, so yeah. to find to find any published instances where they're both present, I, I had already doubted that we wouldn't find anything, so. Yeah, that didn't really lead anywhere, but we just thought that we would bring that up again. But, like we said, Erickson Twins is, as of right now, as of today, our most successful series. Uh just for some stats on that too part one boasted an audience retention of 85 percent which is extremely high um and part two has a 100 percent retention for for about three-fourths of the entire episode which is insane and also audience of that series was from all around the world like we said sweden ireland england mexico netherlands that's just a few of them. So I, I mean, old. every people were listening from all over. Yeah, I, I, I was. It blows my mind to think that people even outside of Oregon are listening to us. You know what I mean? Um, so it's yeah. really cool. It's kind of crazy. I think like our most, our third most listened to state is Texas. It's been very surprising. Moving on to our next one. I have such a hard time talking about the this series, The Boy in the Box, because it was, first of all, mixed m- mixed reviews on The Boy in the Box series, mostly because it was so unlistenable, I think, to some people um, because of the content of it. Yeah. Uh, think of how we feel. We felt the same way about it. It was a lot to record. It was a lot to write about. Um and unfortunately, well, and then we we had to record it. We had to record it like 
a lot like five times four times yeah we had to re-record a lot of times a lot of it was like learning curve shit and then it was a corruption issue it was a whole lot of other stuff too so you know by the time we actually covered it we knew how to get through it I think with the best tact I mean there were some of those earlier recordings were just really painful to listen to because I don't think that we were prepared to really have a conversation about it I think writing about it on my own was like fine but then once we were sitting down looking in each other's eyes to to actually uh talk about it and and discuss it and dissect it it was like out it was out there looking in each other's eyes touching tips no we were not touching tips (laughs) during the boy in the box series (laughs) so sick in the head sick in the head so like it would have been easier to record if we hadn't been touching tips and so that's after the fourth round of touching tips we said no more tip touching put it away (laughs) tips away i will say that i am proud i guess of how tactful we were able to be in that episode um which isn't to say that we would ever try to be disrespectful but um we just got a lot of really good feedback about how how the case was presented um and how it was presented respectfully um so thank you for that feedback because i i I do get worried um about being crass or you know you know not not graceful when when things should be handled mm -hmm. with grace so i think that we did a good job too and I think that, um, you know, not not to like put down other uh, other people who create content and put content out there. I think like I I think I mentioned it in the episode that there's just a lot of people out there who um, are just looking for the most disgusting, shocking content that they can present for um, as much attention as they can get. And sure, when it comes to the boy in the box, that was like the last thing that we wanted to do because we're not so disconnected from reality that we feel like we can make a, that we can make a quick buck off of the pain and suffering of this child who was unknown for so long. Um, And that's what I see a lot of, of, of people just being like, this is the most fucked up thing ever. Like, look at this dead kid's face. Um, right you know and that and that just that just disgusts me beyond beyond any way that I could even uh, describe Uh, so we made a conscious effort to not do that um, because there is justice in sharing Joseph's Joseph Augustus Zarelli's story and Remington Bristow's story and Martha Davis's story without being a total fucking animal about it. So we really appreciate you guys for being so understanding and also for, for supporting us through that series. And, you know, we hope that people understand where we're coming from. Some of you guys were like, Hey, loved part one will not be listening to part two. Or we're like, I started part two and I can't listen to it. I'm sorry. Like, totally understandable so yeah that's that in regards to uh feedback from you guys Uh, unfortunately there's no new updates about 
Joseph Augustus Zarelli's uh, open murder case. It's still being investigated. Um, so hopefully, I mean, maybe sometime down the line, as soon as we know, we will, we will totally mention it. As soon as we know anything, we're on it. We're going to mention it. We're very passionate about this case. I mentioned the America's Most Wanted episode that aired in October of 1998 called America Fights Back and The Boy in the Box is covered in that episode. I have not been able to find it available streaming anywhere. I don't know why. I, I, I literally can't even find anything that really mentions the synopsis or any information about the episode in general I think that maybe it's been removed because the investigation is open um recently a memorial birthday tribute was held on January 23rd for Joseph Augustus Zarelli of this year 2024 um and it was put on by the Vidoc Society in Philadelphia um and the congregated group pretty much included just the Vidoc Society who worked on the Boy in the Box case, as well as some investigators who were assigned who are still alive today. But we don't really know if there were any family members uh, that were present there. I know that some of the family members um, from both the, the Zarelli and the, um, what is, I don't remember Betsy's name, last name, but the mother and the father's side were, were, kind of publicly made some statements, but I don't know if they were present. And I know I just mentioned the Vidoc Society. They uh, are a members only nonprofit detective group in Philadelphia that um, they were congregated in 1990 and they're still an active group today. I did not include them in the Boy in the Box series. I don't know why I should have. I think that I was kind of rushing to get through it. So I was just kind of streamlining the most important details about the Boy in the Box case. Um, But the Vidoc Society was actually a huge help in keeping that case alive, especially after Remington Bristow died. And when we say the when we say that they're like detectives, they're not detectives in a sense where they're like passionate about true crime. They're like former FBI profilers, uh, yeah, homicide like actual detectives. They're literally detectives. They're homicide investigators. They're scientists, psychologists. They literally have their jobs that they go to as like detectives and FBI agents and and yada 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 and then in their spare time they work on cases like the boy in the box so Mm -hmm. that's what they do they're members only they're totally autonomous they do whatever they want with the credentials that they have and they don't operate as like private investigators and um they're they're heroes and and I did not talk about them that was so that was a huge mistake on my part because they do deserve to be recognized Um, for their role in the boy in the box case and keeping it alive they're all heroes um remington bristow is still a hero our 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 man our best man remington bristow so if he had been in good health um he would have been uh he would have been the freaking president of the vidoc society that's president of our country president of our fucking country president of philadelphia (laughs) philadelphia president i would fucking vote for him president of emmys yeah so i would i would feel compelled to vote in an election literally for the first time yeah for the first time in my fucking life we love remington bristow and look out for some cool remington bristow merch 
Moving on to, I guess, one of our most terrifying uh, series that we had this season, which was episodes 11, 12, the Gary Sudbrink mystery calls. Gary, 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 Gary. When I say scary, doppelgary, scary, Gary, like people saying that the recordings were too scary, people saying that it was just too much for them to handle. But then also people being like texting me same day, uh, sending messages same day of of the first episode releasing. I can't wait a week. I can't wait. Yeah, you- a, I can't wait for people. I can't wait for for next episode to come out next week. I you need to send it to me now. You need to make you need to make like Patreon um, early release. Yeah, you had. I remember you texting me and being like, "Yo, people want me to like give the episode now," and I'm like, "Don't. <laughs> they gotta wait. <laughs> they have to wait. Good things come to people who wait, and it feels better after you wait a week, I guess. But it's edging. We're edging you with Gary Sudbrink." <laughs> But yeah, insanely well received. People were fucking freaked out by the Gary Sudbrink series. And within I mean, within reason, it's not yeah, think, great. Think back think back to the first time you heard those recordings. It's fucking scary. I was pretty shocked. Yeah, the first time yeah. I ever heard those, I was pretty shocked. I guess in in creating the episode and, and inserting the calls and listening over and over and over and over and over again to those calls to transcribe them. Um, I, maybe I became desensitized to the strangeness and the unnerved feelings that I once had, um, listening to it, but yeah, they were definitely scary. Um, the first time I ever heard them. And so it makes sense that people were like, ew, what the fuck? (laughs) So no updates about Gary Sudbrink, um, at all. I did look. I really, really wanted to find something. I was very unsuccessful. However, uh, I did find additional interviews and stuff that he had participated in over the last few years. Um, one of the interviews, he's like in a car. There are so many things that you could ask Gary. There are so many things that you could talk to Gary about that is uh, that I feel like is pertinent about retelling his story, asking him questions about things that are... Uh, actually like well what happened then and and can you tell me more about this like if we were given the opportunity to actually interview him that would be a fucking dream come true i would shit myself if i was able to interview gary sudbrink if you if you could ask him one question what would you ask um if i could ask him one question what would i ask him fuck only one question yeah Um, I guess I would ask him to elaborate more on, fuck, there's so much I would ask him. God damn it. That's a terrible question. What would you ask him? Favorite cereal. Are you serious right now? You wouldn't even ask. No. I don't know what I'd fucking ask. See? Okay. We're in the same boat. I would have to, I I think I have a list of questions I I would ask him. I would ask him about... (laughs) I would definitely ask him about uh, his uh, doppelgary situation. I would like for him to explain more about his brother's experiences with doppelgary, Mike's experiences with doppelgary. Um, I want to know more about the men in the airport. I want to know more about his opinions on men in black. I want to know more about his father. 
I want to know more about his uncle. I want to know more about his family. Like there's so many things that we could ask him. If anyone knows how to get in touch with Gary Sudbring, email us at radiogravepodcast at gmail.com. Or Gary, if you're listening to this, which you're probably not, um, if you if you want to be interviewed, if you're open to an interview, please reach out to us, radiogravepodcast at gmail.com. There's so many things I want I would love to talk to you about. Uh anyways, moving on. Unfortunately, I was not able to find any new information or evidence in regards to Bill Sudbrink's experiences, uh, specifically the UFO footage from West Virginia. It's totally unattainable. Uh, but I did, uh, I was able to acquire screenshots of Dr. Maccabee's uh, article in the MUFON report. Uh, and I did put those up on the Instagram. So if you haven't seen those, go check it out. Um, and then also I was not able to find anything new in regards to Bill's interview on coast to coast with Art Bell in the nineties. I don't know why I can't find it. I, I, it's just such a huge catalog. It's just such a huge catalog. And you also have to remember too, like coast to coast, those episodes are sometimes like four hours. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? He, and sometimes Art Bell would have multiple people on. So Bill's interview could have been like a 30 minute interview within a four hour period. And maybe that's why I couldn't find it. So I will keep looking. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of committed. I have also been unsuccessful in finding anything that video or photo wise from the South Haven park UFO crash, which I feel like is so strange because it was such a momentous event. But I yeah. think that this is kind of mostly due to uh, in recent years, just lots of compelling video and photographs of UFO sightings in Long Island in general, especially in the last like four months. Like when I was researching this last year, uh, it was not as like saturated as it as it is now, where like there's mm-hmm. all of these recent videos and photos of UFOs in um, in Long Island that have been surfacing. So they're all over TikTok. Maybe I'll try and find some and and put them up on the Instagram because some of them are really compelling. Uh, I did find quite a few uh, photos of like firefighters trying to put out those wildfires in Long Island. And that's um, in relation to Preston Nichols thinking that he saw himself on TV Mm -hmm. putting out the fires. So those were kind of cool photos. Um, I may put some of those up too. Did you find any, did you find any uh, footage of the double passing by? Because didn't he see it on TV? He did. He saw it live. And that's the fucked up thing is that like, who knows if there's, if there's even anything live. Yeah. Like recorded footage left over. I, you know, I bet if I just look deeper into Preston Nichols in general, I'm sure that there, he must have like a recording of the live feed. I need to just look more into him in general. Um, because he may, he may as well have that like available to see, uh, he may have recorded it himself on his TV. He could have, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I'm sure that if I look deeper into Preston Nichols, I would be able to find some, something, maybe even a screenshot or something like that. I did look into some John Ford updates. Those are scarce. We know that he Mm. was um, institutionalized for 16 years in a mental hospital. And then once he was deemed fit for trial, he was sentenced to 13 years for his murder conspiracy. 
The Mm -hmm. deeper I looked into it, there is a small group of people uh, online. They have the hashtag free John Ford. They've been around for a while and are um, supporting his early release, as well as promoting the conspiracies of his arrest being involved in a cover up and that he was framed, even though there's like audio of him um, confessing that he had radium in the back of his truck and was planning on um, poisoning public officials and politicians. So but I don't know. So uh, framed. Yeah, he was framed. So um Last I could see online from that group specifically was from about a year ago. It was on Facebook, their little Facebook group. And it said that um, they were just giving updates about his health. And um, while he was in, while he in, while he was incarcerated at that time, saying that he would he had been hospitalized and that he was in a wheelchair. But that's like mm. the last thing that they say is like, oh, he's doing well. He's still in a wheelchair or something like that. I don't know. That's that's all I could really find about John Ford. I don't know if he's I don't think he's passed away. I don't know anything about the group. Maybe they are uh, also being uh, covered up. Maybe they're being silenced by the government. Who knows? <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. Big conspiracy. Maybe they have radium. I maybe maybe they have radium poisoning. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. So I had a lot of time to think about this. Because the first time I listened back to the Gary Sedbring series, and I immediately, I immediately, like after it was live, after it was already posted and people were listening to it, I immediately was like, I fucking, how could I have missed this? In part one, we talk about UV and what they say on the calls and specifically keep an eye on the skies near Orion, the full moon show double of you. And I follow this up by saying that the actual full moon had been on February 6th. There was the appearance of a full moon, but it wasn't literally a full moon. This is incorrect. This is, this is something I got wrong. Um, actually. So, The full moon in February of 1993 was on the 7th. The reason for the confusion was because the full moon began or was at its fullest at 12.55 a.m., which was only 55 minutes into the day of February 7th. So technically, it was full on February 7th, but for the night of February 6th, it wasn't literally a full moon. You know what I mean? You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. So with the realization of this mix up, something, two, two things came together and it's been on my mind. February 7th was the day that Gary took off to go to Long Island. It was the day that he ran into the men at the airport and on the plane and landed at JFK. But most importantly, this was the day, the 7th, the night that Mike spoke to stuffy Gary on the phone. So that leads me to the seventh was the day of the full moon. Mm-hmm. Show double of you on the seventh. Mike had a conversation with Doppelgary on the phone on the seventh. February 8th was when Gary and Bill met with Coleman von Kavisky. It was the night he talked to Mike about the call with Stuffy Gary 
And then they were interrupted by the first mysterious call from UV telling him he was being impersonated. Now we know, for the entire day of the 7th, Gary was possibly being impersonated. So that makes sense why he says, Mm -hmm. the full moon show double of you. Yeah. I guess I would ask Gary, what day did your brother, who was driving to the wedding, what day specifically did he see you on the highway driving the car? Because if that was a full moon day, full moon night, that's fucked, right? So I also went back and decided to break down the calls once I kind of thought more about this and mm-hmm. to see if there was um, any anything else that was connected um, between them. And when I broke them down, I, I think that the pauses between UV speech are not like intentional. I think that it's just broken up because of the way that they're communicating so I think that there's, there's, there was a lack of understanding in what they were trying to convey at that time. So the more that I listened to it, the more that I started to think about it. We'll play the audio. We'll play the audio right now. So how long are you going to be back from Texas? How long will you be impersonated by the other voice? Right. When am I coming back? Is that your question? Oh, tonight or just on when? The full moon. Show double from you. It was show double from me. So I think that he was trying to say, how long are you going to be back in Long Island from Texas? You need to be aware that you are being impersonated by the other voice. When there is a full moon... There will be double of you. This double is impersonating you. Mm-hmm. So that's what I think that he's trying to say. UV can't say all that because they're like not. I don't know what they are. They can't have a conversation. He just has to relay a message. There is also some other stuff about uh, them coming to visit. Keep an eye on the sky, he said. Keep an eye on the sky? Yeah. Near Orion. Near Orion. The second part is, we intend to be amongst you within this planet. We come often. We make contact and visit with many people. And you are one of those people. Keep an eye on the skies. As in be aware or have knowledge or expect us especially near Orion. This is where we come from, or this is a place of significance. So, and just remember, and also an FYI to people who don't know this, the constellation of Orion has quite a bit of significance in the world of ufology. And this is something I did not really speak much about or on because there's just simply too much to talk about. But I do mention that the Green Bank Telescope did make a few interesting discoveries within the Orion molecular field during the beginning of the LISTEN project, which is trying to find aliens, basically. Message continuation. 
instructed by them. Okay. Is that good for me or bad? They hung up. There is some audio that is missed and unrecoverable. But at 2 minutes 25 seconds, it is believed that UV says, It is not as appears. The sun will rise on the dark side of the moon. The world will know. Show double of you. Beware government interference. They often disrupt our visitations and will continue to do so. Things are not as they appear. As in maybe the government cannot be trusted? Maybe. The sun will rise on the dark side of the moon. Meaning maybe the impossible will occur. And the world will finally know about maybe their existence or their intentions. Remember when there is a full moon, there will be double of you. I think that's like the full message. I don't really know what else. Right. It totally makes sense. Because when you really listen to it, like, I think that is the most straightforward thing, which makes me feel actually kind of good that it's like, hey, like, we visit all the time. You're one of those people that it ties into him maybe having anxiety about people breaking into his house. Very, uh, very clear indicator, uh, lots of symptoms to someone who is a victim of abduction, which is something I didn't really talk about because I thought maybe it would be like kind of offensive or maybe like a reach, but truly, uh, people who show those sorts of anxious, um, inclinations of people breaking into their house or people coming to get them or people doing things and, you know, with the coins on the doorknob, yada, yada, like that's pretty like the people who get abducted do shit like that. So I do think that maybe Gary was being visited. Um, and that's, that's what it's all about. I still don't know who the caller was though. Who knows? What do you think? I think it, I think it was double Gary. I also think it might've been double Gary. Yeah. Which isn't to say that double, like the doppelganger was like a literal second Gary, but I think it's like a, um, Gosh, like an avatar for some extraterrestrial. Right. You know, like, yeah, it's not that it's a human. It's a, that it's a copy of Gary with, like, the consciousness of right whoever's talking about Orion, you know. I would really like to ask Gary what, you know, I know he's very, like, he's very, like, doesn't really talk that much about it. But I would like to know what mike and double gary talked about i i want to know really what the conversation was because it sounds like the times that gary has been doubled when doppel gary has been contacted by normal people he doesn't really seem to do anything except for be weird as fuck you know what i mean like driving down the highway and being like like looking at his brother and like making faces and then driving away or calling um, calling Mike and being like, yeah, I landed in LaGuardia and like having a conversation that didn't seem to be pertinent or about anything at all. Like, so what's the purpose of doppelgary? Like just being like just fucking lame and not knowing anything? Like, I don't know. It's not like he's calling and being like, I need information. I need personal information. Do you remember that time I told you my uh, all that personal stuff? Can you tell me about that? Like... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, he's not doing anything like that. It's just weird. Gary Sudbring's case will always fucking flabbergast me into fucking oblivion. 
And it fucking haunts me. Personally, I don't think about it much. Uh, I hate to say it. I don't. That's where we're I think about, different. I, I do think about um, the Fukushima toilet mystery a lot, though. Yeah, me too. Me too, me too. And even after, like, listening to that episode back and, and, and re- reviewing it and talking to people about it, too, it's just... It does fuck with my head. Fukushima? Yeah, it fucks with my head. Yeah. Quite a bit. And one of the things that um, people did say about it was like, well, obviously there was a lot of information that was inconsistent and a lot of um, details that were inconsistent, not, not by fault on our part, but just in general. It's still unresolved and, you know, people have asked, like, why is the source material like that? So sparse and inconsistent. And it's really simple. One, Japan has very strict privacy laws. So information is scarce and not likely to surface from law enforcement whatsoever. They, and especially also from the family and maybe from Yumi Tanaka, like nothing is coming out of that. Super strict privacy laws. What we know is what we know. Uh, It's an older case and it'll never be reopened. So that's another reason why also the case itself kind of involves a very shameful death and a lot of gossip. So it's not really something I think anybody's really going to be like, hey, like, let's talk about this. I think it just is too much trauma. And I also, I think a huge contributing factor is that the possibility that the Yakuza and political ties are to blame for Nayuki's death is so fucking possible. Like it's like, it's it, I lean on it very heavily that, that the Yakuza had something to do with it. I thought about talking about the Yakuza in the Fukushima episode, but because it was a mini, I I didn't include it. Explaining how powerful the Yakuza were in Japan, even in 1989, is it's it's actually pretty shocking. And the likelihood of the Yakuza being involved is, I think, incredibly high. Um, Where do you stand on it? Do you still think that it was a phase in, phase out? Or do you think it was Yakuza? Or do you think it was, I don't know, now that you've had more time to think about it? Yeah, I don't have a a solid theory. Um, it, it could be it could be either way. I mean, though I I like the phase in phase out, yeah. um, and it's more somehow to me is more straightforward. I guess. Um, but the uh, the yakuza is so powerful, and it's not unrealistic for them to be able to execute something like this. Yeah, where they would you know shove someone down a pipe and then just like get a fake autopsy and have right. the cops keep it quiet. Like it's not. Yeah. That something to that caliber wouldn't be unheard of, right? I think from the yakuza, but well, I don't know. It kind of remind like I kind of thought more about what you said in the episode two of being like, we don't know anything. Like no. he could have had a fucking bullet in his head. He could have been cut in half. He could have had uh, all of his bones broken and shoved in there. Like we don't know if that is, Mm -hmm. we don't know anything like it's all fucked up 
it's all wrong. But I think that there is a very agreed upon uh, detail that the way that Naoyuki was in the pipe was not natural. Yes. And and I think that regardless of the autopsy, regardless of that's what's most commonly reported is that it was not natural at all. Um, how, how could it be? How could it be? Yeah. How could it be natural? It just isn't. And even, I don't know. So I do think that Yakuza very well could have been involved. They, they were incredibly powerful. Um, they're still incredibly powerful. Like just to put it into perspective too, the Yakuza has been around for fucking ever. Like I think since like the 1600s. They gained significant power after World War II due to the instability of the government and military. So they they took on a huge, huge responsibility, quote unquote, to um, do whatever the fuck they wanted. So basically, the Yakuza's power over in Japan peaked in the 1960s with an estimated 180,000 to 200,000 members at that time in the 1960s and throughout that decade. And they stayed pretty active in the decades to follow, although their numbers like did decrease over time. And around the same time in the 1960s in the US, it was estimated that there were around 24 powerful crime families in relation to the mafia across the country in the US, mm -hmm. 5,000 members total throughout the families and twice as many associates. So, I mean, 10,000 to 15,000, like that's pretty modest. So in comparison to that, like, yes, Japan's population is smaller, but mm -hmm. 180 to 200,000 members in Japan as compared to 5,000 plus another 10 to 15, 20,000 at the most, that's pretty fucking astronomical. Yeah, and, that's a huge disparity. Right. And, of course, there's a higher population in the U.S. Of course, these were very, very powerful, um, you know, families in the U.S. But 200,000 members at that time. In 1960, Japan's population was 94 million people. This means that 0.2% of Japan's population were members of the Yakuza. That's crazy. <laughs> Isn't that fucking crazy? Like that. I know it doesn't sound I, like a lot, but it's like it is a but lot. It is. That's fucking huge. Yeah. Um, 94 million people. That's a pretty big number. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I honestly couldn't find how many Yakuza members there were in 1989. Well, there's not a list. I guess not. Anti-Yakuza legislation was passed in 1992. And at that time, it was speculated that there were about 26,000 members. Um, there was one family, the Yamaguchi Gumi family. They were the largest and strongest Yakuza family at this time. And they had 8,200 members out of the 26,000. So, I mean, they were huge. So even in the 90s, the Yakuza were five times larger than the American Mafia when they were considered to be the most abundant and successful. So let's just say when the Mafia was running Vegas, uh, there were five times like more 
uh, Yakuza uh, running the entirety of Japan. So the Yakuza, I feel like in 1989, very well could have been very, very related. They would do anything. They had power. If you were a politician and you gave them some money, they would just do it. They didn't care. And they wouldn't get in trouble for it because the police couldn't do anything about it. Nobody could do anything about it. So paying off the fucking autopsy doctor, paying off the police, paying off politicians, paying off everybody. We don't know what happened in Naoyuki and we never will. So what a bummer. But I think that kind of leads into why I feel like it was more so Yakuza than anything else. Unfortunately, not phase in, phase out. Well, I mean, a girl can dream. Yeah. And dream big. She must. Dream big. Dream of aliens having their hand in everything. I think... Literally anything unexplained. Balls in Tadashiro. (laughs) Balls deep. (laughs) So that's pretty much it for our roundup. Um, We had great feedback on everything. Everyone has been so awesome and... I just can't believe it. It's been so cool to do this. So thank you guys so much. Uh, we do. Yes, thank you. Like we do have a couple announcements next week, March 5th. Mm. The two winners will be announced for the mystery boxes. Y'all, we got books. We got jewelry. We got creepy things. We yeah, have there's some stuff. There's some stuff that I'm pretty jealous of that I wish I was winning. But th- so much so much cool stuff and also like i'm not allowed to talk about it in the house if you listen to the little update announcement that we had last week you can hear me talk about it i'm not allowed to talk about it in the house so go listen to that if you want Um, more details more details so yeah in the meantime there is time to join into that to enter that giveaway all you have to do is become a patreon member um you can be a free member if you like but of course if you want to subscribe and donate to us that is super appreciated and it helps with um all of our research and merchandise and all that jazz yeah and tears begin at one dollar we obviously want to be inclusive we want you guys to have just as much of a opportunity to win in the mystery box giveaway as possible. Like the inability to be a patron, which is asking a lot doesn't should not exclude you. We, we we're so stoked about the mystery boxes. Like they're amazing. You're going to love it. We do have a lot of merchandise coming. Um, we have an order put in for like stickers, keychains, tons of different designs for those that I think, um, you know, there's something in the price range for everyone. Uh, we're also going to be dropping t-shirts soon. Uh, once that's all ready, we'll have a link to that shop available. Um, there'll be more details in our Q&A episode, but um, for now, it's just something for you to look forward to. Yeah. Um, and stay up to date on our Instagram, for real. Like, yeah, that's pretty absolutely. much where we announce everything. Instagram is where we are the most heavily uh, located uh, in regards to social media. Um, So follow us on Instagram, Radio Grave Podcast. You guys will not be let down by the Instagram. There's so much that we post there. Um, 
all of our episode slides, reels, memes, so much shit. So just go follow us. <laughs> just, just, just go follow us. Don't be like that. And enjoy all of that. And enjoy the, the Insta feed. Enjoy the Insta feed. And we just want to thank you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for coming back and um, checking out the updates and continuing to uh, be interested in these topics. Yes. And we will catch you guys next week for our Q&A. And yes, we'll see you. We'll catch you. Jesus. We will catch you. Every fucking time. I know. It's actually a problem. We (laughs) will catch you next week for our Q&A, our final, final episode of the season final final episode thank you for listening and amber you can uh you can turn your geriatric uh video back on thank you oh and also thank you for holding out with us for our first uh virtual recording oh yeah it's trial and error of course but i mean we've we've done a lot of trial so i mean it's it's all error from here (laughs) (laughs) it's all error from here Yes. yes thank, thank you. you we'll uh, catch you next time <laughs> we'll catch you next time peace out boy at 2 a.m eastern standard time multiple unidentified objects were confirmed to have entered earth's atmosphere it is speculated that these objects are of extraterrestrial origin the broadcast will quiet at this time for your safety Continue to carry out the following instructions. Radio Grave is hosted by Amber Byland and Dominique Makasuya. Music courtesy of AOA Music, Carl Casey at White Bat Audio, and intro music by Simon Bickbyler. Audio mixing and editing by Amber Byland. Logo and cover art by Dominique Makasuya. All other media and sound clips used are protected under fair use and are for the purpose of criticism, commentary, news reporting, education, and research. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.